So, I haven't talked about this publicly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about it now, first on camera. Um, um, my head of engineering became suspicious and started looking within you know, the logs. What happened the next few days was one of the scariest really? things that happened in my life. Both Google, our investors, received an email, supposedly from me, saying that I've resigned from the company. Wow. Um, I lost people within my team, our country manager. Um, we lost him to COVID. Oh, wow. I felt like I was losing literally everything that I've ever worked for. You guys just got acquired. How much were you acquired for? Um, What's up everybody, my name is Benjamin Fernandez. I'm the founder and CEO of Nala. I'm here today in Dakar, Senegal with an exclusive with Paul Damali. Paul is the co-founder and CEO of Approve, uh, a digital identity and verification service across eight African countries. And recently they got acquired by Smile Identity. So we're gonna hear the exclusive today about the acquisition, his journey building, and where he's been throughout this path. So welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you, Benji. Or as they say in Tanzania and Swahili, it's Karibu. What do they say in Ghana? Akwaba. Akwaba. Well, I thought Akwaba was like, what's up? Akwaba is welcome. Okay, welcome. Yes. So it works, right? It works. Nice. It works. Now, Paul recently uh, and I, we hung out in Zanzibar a couple years ago. Um, we were doing this uh, meetup and like looking at like, yeah, I know, okay, I know it sounds like okay, we were in Zanzibar chilling. We weren't chilling. Gosh, we're probably going to have to edit this part out of this video, but you know, we'll just leave it at that. For all of you guys who start judging us, it's fine. Zanzibar is my home, it's Tanzania. Um, anyway, so we, we meet up as founders to discuss challenges that we face, uh, but also work together for a sprint week and help each other out. So uh, we were with Paul uh, a couple of years ago, right after, right before the pandemic, yes, actually. Yes, yes. And um, really discussing what ways we can help each other out as founders. So I've known Paul for a couple of years and really happy today to getting this exclusive soundbite yes, yes. with what's going on with the acquisition. So congratulations, first of all. Thanks, Benji. You know what this means, right? It means everybody watching and myself, we're all going to get a free trip by Paul. So <laughs> go and follow him on all his social media channels and message him and oh uh, we can get the free trip, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, so, Paul, welcome to the show. Yes. Tell me about, for those who don't know, um, don't know you and don't know your background, where's home for you? Well, apart from the plane, okay. <laughs> he's always expanding his business in another yes, country. Yes. Well, I come from Ghana, mm. specifically. If you ask me where my hometown is, mm. uh, it's a place called Keta. Mm. Keta is a coastal town on the eastern part of Ghana in mm. the Volta region. Mm. So that's where I come from. Um, but I've lived most of my life in uh, Accra and in the eastern region of Ghana, both schooling. Um, uh, living with my parents mm. and yeah just being a Ghanaian. How many siblings do you have? Oh okay so I have seven other siblings. Okay. So, um, I have half brothers as well as you know younger siblings of mine about three of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, you're the oldest in the family? Yeah I'm the oldest of my mom. Okay. Yes so nice. and I have three other siblings so we have two boys two girls. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you grew up there and then how did you even get to getting involved in the tech business? It taught, walk me through that journey. Mm, yeah. That's an interesting one. Well, m mostly when I was growing up, I was always uh, your typical science nerd. Mm. And so I would spend a lot of time on my own just reading, mm. playing out. I always had a project that I was working on, mm. right? And that really is what drove my interest in science, math, you know, the entire STEM education. Mm. And most of that was what I basically studied throughout to about high school. Mm. Um, after high school, I had really interesting experiences that exposed me to the world of technology, business, mm. and then I think that was more, of, more or less my pivotal uh, moment mm. to make a decision to go into tech as a career. Mm. So there was some classes you took in high school that got you curious about yes. the technology industry. Yeah. So well, I mean, so mm. first of all, in high school, the way um, education is structured in, in Ghana, Ghana mm. you select 
topics based on broad teams, right? Mm -hmm. So one broad team will be general arts. So you'd be interested in history, language, etc. Then you'd have like uh, we call it pure science. Then mm -hmm. you'd be interested in biology, mm -hmm. uh, physics, mathematics, all of that. Um, in my case, I studied agriculture, and in agriculture, you're doing a bunch of things, right? So you study maths, physics, biology. Then you're also studying business management, you're studying economics, you're studying animal husbandry, all of that, and, uh, all of that into one broad uh, um, subject, agriculture. So um, I'd say that specific um, course part really exposed me to both worlds of business and science. And it was mm. a really interesting experience. So uh, then from, from high school, then where'd you go? Okay, so after high school, I had this one-year gap mm. where I had the opportunity to really um, find, discover myself, mm. know who I am. Um, prior to that, what you typically do is to select the course that you'd study in university. Mm -hmm. So I applied to uh, both public and private universities in Ghana, largely agricultural engineering because that was really what I focused on. Mm. Um, but during my one-year gap, I decided to change. But um, so so one-year gaps aren't so common across the African continent within like African families. How did that happen for you? In, in Ghana, typically, at the time I was graduating, so we're talking about 2008, mm -hmm. typically you wait for a year to hear your results okay. and then app, uh, apply okay, to see. go to the university. So within that one year, you have to find something to do oh, for okay. yourself. It's more common in Ghana. Exactly. It's very common. Probably also in Nigeria. Mm. Um, yeah, more in the WIAC region, West African Education Council mm -hmm. region. And so... This was basically my opportunity to discover myself. I, had, I was armed with all the knowledge in science, maths, engineering, and some business. Yeah. Uh, within that year, I'd wanted to do um, an internship with my uncle who had uh, a mechanic uh, shop uh, where I was living, Koforidria. That's in the eastern region of Ghana. And I told my dad about it, and he was like, no way I'm going to make my son yeah. go under some fitting, uh, you know. He, he wasn't in alignment with yeah. that idea. Yeah. So for me, I was disappointed, and I yeah. still had to look for something to do, right? And so I, one time I was looking through the papers, and I saw an advertisement by an insurance firm mm. saying, hey, we're looking for salespeople, mm. and you got to be minimum 18 years old. I had 10, just 18. Mm. You need a minimum of an HND that's like a higher national diploma, not mm. exactly a university degree, yeah. but that was the start, starting mm. point. I was like, maybe this will be a long yeah. shot, but yeah. let me Let's try. try. Yeah. Uh, I put in the application, like literally the same day I saw, I saw it. And by next week, I got a call. Yeah. They were like, oh, you're Paul Donnelly. Come over to the uh, office. Uh, we want to prepare you for uh, sales training. Mm. And for me, that was really like that moment. That's the opportunity to mm. really learn how to sell, to yeah. talk to people, to convince people to buy something. Mm. If you know insurance, <laughs> it's one of the most difficult it's things to sell. South Africa, especially. Absolutely. Right, your competition is literally Jesus. <laughs> yes. I had many, many, many uh, interesting stories along the line being uh, an insurance salesperson. But that was also the real opportunity for me to learn things about strategy, you know, human relations, talking to people, convincing them, thinking through a funnel. All of those skills I learned uh, during that one mm. year. And I think it was probably what, you know, mm. gave me the trajectory to really pick up entrepreneurship. Mm. Mainly because I had to figure out strategy to sell. Mm. If you're selling to someone who is probably almost like your dad, mm. right? Age 50 plus. Mm. He'll, he, and he knows you're like 19 years old. He mm. won't really take you seriously. Mm. Who are you to tell me what that uh, I should be making is. a financial, a very important financial decision? Right. And what do you know? You just finished school, right? Yeah. So I had to figure out a strategy to convince these people because obviously they could see that I was a young kid, right? Yeah. So one of the very first strategies I thought of was um, buying um, a stock of books from... Um, it, basically, uh, the motivational speakers, Albert mm. and Comfort Okran, they, they write a lot about financial management mm. and all of that. And they had a reputation in Ghana, right? Yeah. And so my strategy was that, well, why don't I sell those books instead? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you get people hooked in into the idea of personal financial management yeah. and with insurance as one of those, you know, 
products that they can put in their financial portfolio. Yeah. And I'd call, I'd, I'd really make a point that, hey, you should read this in the next two weeks. And trust me, it's going to be life-changing. Yeah. <laughs> Literally a motivational trust, trust me, bro. <laughs> yes. I know. And, and it, it really worked. Interestingly, wow. it worked. A lot of people call me two weeks after and say, um, did you say you sell insurance? I've mm. been thinking about it. Mm. And that was like my moment to really kill wow. it and close a deal. Wow, yeah, that's so that was uh, yeah. a lot of learning experiences. Um, so you go from this job in insurance where you're figuring out a new sales strategy, then you go to university. Well, so right between that and going to university, I had a lot of time on my hand. And so I'd spend time in an internet cafe on YouTube. Mm. And one time on YouTube, I discovered the story of uh, Mark Zuckerberg by CNBC. Mm. You know, they told all this whole story about, you know, how he started and mm. how he got to where he is. And it was very inspirational mm. for me. So I got into this rabbit hole almost every day. I have to make sure that I buy time at mm. the internet cafe watching YouTube uh, stories of all these founders, Steve mm. Jobs, Wozniak, like mm. Cuban, Mark Cuban, all of them, literally. And mm. for me, I was convinced that this is what I wanted to do. Mm. Growing up, I always wanted to be an inventor, a scientist, mm. engineer. So if I, if I found myself in that space, mm. that is really what I would say it would be fulfilling because it gave me the opportunity to mm. impact lives and change lives, right? And so... Right about that time, I, I began to realize that to be an entrepreneur really means a bunch of things. One, if you want to be involved in engineering science and make your impact there, yeah, you need a technical competence. Mm. But you also need to be a salesperson. You mm. need to be a people's person. And all these skills, how am I going to get them? If I studied agricultural science, I would be very technical and one-sided in terms of uh, the skill sets. So I made a decision actually to change my course and study uh, banking and finance mm. in school. So between that time, um, I applied to a bunch of private universities because I was always not convinced about public universities mm. in Ghana giving me that kind of training. And so um, I ended up in Radford University in Ghana, which had a, an entrepreneurial curriculum focused mm. on giving you core uh, um, banking and finance, you know, skill sets, but at the same time also training you entrepreneurially. Mm. And yeah, so that was basically the decision I made and prepared for that yeah. until I got to, you know, uni the next year. Okay. So talk to me about uni to approve. Right. So it was also really important that, you know, um, the university that I attended had to be in the right location. Mm. I.e. at the time, a lot of um, Ghana's tech ecosystem was just buzzing. There were a lot of hackathons. Mm. There were a lot of uh, interesting tech events always happening. And I would always attend them. And most of those events were concentrated in the East Legon area, our, like Silicon Valley, where yeah. you had a lot of startups there. There was uh, tech incubators like Meltwater Entrepreneurial mm -hmm. uh, School of Technology. And so I would literally attend a lot of those programs, go find founders and talk to them, wow. interview them, and just be inspired and be within their network, right? Mm -hmm. And that really was what I did for most of like my school time. While in school, I was also inspired to start businesses. So mm. one of the very interesting things we did was uh, myself and my partner, uh, we built an accounting system for Ghana's largest uh, pizza chain, mm. uh, Papa's Pizza. Mm. And that's one of the most interesting things. I also had the opportunity within that uh, school period to work in investment banking and be mm. exposed to you know, the challenges of banking. I worked with uh, EcoBank's investment arm. And so um, I was really exposed to the entire, you know, value chain of what happens, you know, within the banking uh, industry. I also had the opportunity to actually mm. do retail business. So mm. myself and my business uh, uh, and mentor at yeah. the latter part of my university days, 
uh, we are importing isotonic yeah. drinks. Those isotonic drinks were supposed to be competitors to energy drinks, yeah. right? And we literally carried our, you know, we imported one ton container of yeah. you know, these drinks, carried these drinks in the back of our boots, yeah. going from one retail one retailer to the other, signing deals, yeah. trying to, you know, do distribution. Um, we did very well with our first container. Second yeah. container was a mess. Yeah. <laughs> we, we couldn't sell a lot. We learned a lot about the industry. So you had all these side hustles going when you had your yes, main job? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. While well, also in school. And these experiences were really what shaped me up. Mm -hmm. um, I would also be involved in entrepreneurial competitions, pitching mm -hmm. on behalf of the school. And mm -hmm. it just exposed me to, you know, an entire entrepreneurial ecosystem, mm -hmm. which really built me up. So how did you decide to start Approve? Right. So... Right after uni, I had the opportunity to get into the Meltwater Entrepreneurial School of Technology. Mm. That is where really I'd say I built the ropes of you know tech entrepreneurship and learning the skill sets that are necessary to be a tech entrepreneur. Uh, at the end, at the time, my batch was uh, a combination of Ghanaians and Nigerians. We're the first international batch mm. uh, in there, and. Um, once we completed, you know, in how it happens in mess is that you pitch, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you form a team and you pitch a solution. So at that point in time, myself and two other co-founders, we pitched a solution called Loyster. And Loyster essentially is a business that enables um, small businesses to retain their customers, more like a loyalty solution, mm -hmm. right? And so um, I was involved in the business of Loyster for almost nine months. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't exactly excited about our trajectory, obviously for multiple reasons. Mm -hmm. And so right about that time, I started exploring and speaking with people within the banking sector. Mm. Uh, I used to organize FinTech events oh, uh, wow. for NextBank and bring in, that was probably one of the very first ecosystem events that brought bankers and FinTechs and you know the entire community uh, together. And interacting with all those people, um, KYC was probably like the most uh, running team yeah. in all the conversations. So it also allowed me, it brought me back to experiences I had while selling insurance. Yeah. You know, uh, at the time I could typically sell um, 10, I could do 10 insurance deals and submit it to my manager who would have to report to Accra uh, or HQ. And when he reports to HQ, the expectation is that all of these people will be approved to, you know, begin to pay premiums yeah. and all of that. But I'll just have like five of those saying, oh, we've approved five. The other five, we are not sure about their ID documents. We can't really, the system is not really showing up their data. So I'm sorry. And it pissed me off all the time because yeah. I was making money per, uh, per client, right? Yeah. And so if I brought 10 people and you take away five of that, I'm not making enough money, right. basically. And so that experience, remembering that while I was going through all these interviews with yeah. all these people just made me remember mm -hmm. that, you know, this challenge of KYC is very consistent yeah. across industries. Mm -hmm. Insurance, whilst I worked in there, I experienced it. Mm -hmm. In banking, I experienced it. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was just like, everything is lining up for me to focus on this problem and try to you know really solve it so you really focused on deciding to work on kyc and identity verification because you spoke to all these bankers who were your friends yes and there was a common pattern that you kept seeing showing up absolutely. in these meetings over and over absolutely. again absolutely and so that common problem pinched you you're like you know what like yeah I need i've to do experienced it before this is not something yeah. uh i don't know because mm. you know i was always at the cups of onboarding customers yeah. in every you know opportunity I had to work within financial services yeah. and I was always exposed to that problem. Mm. So you were seeing this problem pattern popping up over and over again. How did you decide that this was the business you wanted to build with the co-founders you chose to build it with? Right. To be honest with you, um, I haven't talked about my co-founder journey publicly mm -hmm. a lot because um, I actually had two sets of co-founders uh, across the lifetime of this business. The first co-founder, technical co-founder, was um, the guy I worked with in university to build mm. that accounting system, right? Mm. Um, I knew him. I, he was one of the few technical people I knew within my network that yeah. I had worked with, actually. Yeah. So I was like, hey, this is the idea I have. I think that if we can build this API and make it more than accessible to people, 
various you know financial services then you know we can really build something here and he was like yeah i've been working with you let's do it so this was basically uh, the decision was just based on i've worked with you before i know you and mm -hmm. yeah let's just get it done right and so um i worked with uh, this co-founder sometime from 2017 through to probably like mm. September 2018, mm -hmm. um, we built an initial MVP. Mm -hmm. um, he also technology was basically, he, he got his first uh, um, code, uh, coding deal when he was like 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, so he's always someone I admired you know, from his technical you know, abilities. And I was like, Yo, let's do this, let's mm -hmm. build this company. So he was happy to do it, uh, we're excited. Um, I focus more on customer development, you know, a bit of product development. Mm. He focused on building engineering and uh, within that one year when we're doing interviews mm. and speaking to, you know, various leads, uh, we also had the opportunity to enter a bunch of uh, programs. Mm. Uh, one of them was uh, the DFS Labs. Uh, yeah, we were both part of that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and for us, that even sort of like really... Um, entrenched our, our conviction about the problem because mm. you had Steven and Dr. Jake, yeah. you know, invite us and say, hey, uh, we really believe in you guys. You've already proven to us that you understand the ecosystem, you know, um, the, the right people to be speaking with. But one thing that really changed around our model and that was when we met uh, Ben Lyon yeah. of Copo uh, Copo, yeah. now Hover, yeah. and we met uh, Hilda Mora yeah, also. They were like, look, I also need this this thing you're building here. Yeah. We need it in Kenya. This thing you're building yeah. here, uh, we need it in other markets. Yeah. And they all impressed on us to actually think about a solution that is pan-African. Mm. We're like, we've not even figured out Ghana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've not figured out yeah. Ghana. So it really they really challenged us to start to think about how to approach this infrastructure, right? And so what we spent a lot of time doing was one we wanted to figure out how do we access data and intuitively bring that data within our ecosystem mm. we spent some time speaking with the identity authorities in ghana and at that time you know, my co-founder was a very diminutive guy really yeah. looking really small and myself also looking really young i don't have a mustache i've not grown <laughs> that you know I would go in front of you know decision makers and they would be like why are you kids doing this? <laughs> like, go find something else. Get a job. Yeah. Why are you doing this? We won't give you access. So yeah. Like, no problem. We'll go build something and come show it to you and we'll see what you think. And so we essentially build the infrastructure. We build demo apps, just going around showing bankers, showing mm. our data partners that this mm. is what we envision and this is what could possibly happen. We even had um, Dr. Jake fly down to Ghana to wow. go into meetings with us so that we have someone senior. Yeah, who, proof credibility. Yes, exactly, exactly. Wow. And all of those things paid off because eventually we worked with a data partner in Ghana to get access to like the passport, driver's license, insurance. National ID. Yeah, wow. yeah. And that was the beginning of, you know, really making APIs uh, available, especially for fintechs that were developing solutions at that time, trying uh -huh. to build digital solutions. Bef prior to that, you have to go meet these government Manually, people, one by one, write contracts, you know, all those kind of things. But the ease of doing that was yeah. just phenomenal. Yeah. And that so, was the beginning. So then how did that go to your new co-founders? Yes. So I haven't talked about this publicly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about it now, first on camera. Um, right about sometime around July 2018, we had the opportunity to get into two major um, accelerators. One was um, the blockchain and machine learning accelerator of Google, mm -hmm. which meant that we spent some time in San Francisco. Uh, there were startups, various startups that was actually had got to the opportunity to meet onboarding mm. uh, of Stalin Bank. It was yeah. just a phenomenal, you yeah. know. We are just like the, the earliest startup within that whole yeah. group. There was Gojek, CEO, yeah. I met Aliu. Uh, nice. uh, so it was really inspiring for us. At that same time, we also got into startup uh, bootcamp. 
uh, Afri the AfriTech uh, mm -hmm. in Cape Town, Zach and Philip, you know, and their program. Unfortunately, a bunch of things started happening. Now, my co-founder for a very long time, um, he was a consultant. I mean, mm -hmm. that's how he made money, right, yeah. with his skills. Um, once we started getting into all these accelerator programs, what it meant for us was we're getting access to like free cloud services, free you know mm -hmm. email hosting and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, we weren't really paying ourselves what would you call a, a proper salary. Yeah. It's more like a stipend yeah. at the end of every month. So after some time working on this project, my co-founder wasn't really excited that he was spending so much of his time you know, um, doing this thing and not making like significant amount of money like we did with, you know, the previous, the, yeah, previous ones. So for him, he made the decision to actually leverage off some of these resources that we already had mm. to, you know, build his consulting business on the side, which mm. I didn't know. Wow. Um, at the time when we got a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation through uh, DFS Lab, we had the opportunity to actually uh, start to build out a proper business, hire people. So I, at the time, I hired the, the person who is my current CTO, mm -hmm. uh, Lord Bruce. Mm -hmm. He was also from Mest. I previously worked with him on, on Loyster. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kwame Yabua, mm -hmm. also from Mest, uh, who came in as a product lead. Mm -hmm. So these were employees, yeah. not co-founders, right? I, for a long time, uh, my previous co-founder using all these resources mm -hmm. for his consulting, I didn't know really because yeah. I wasn't so technically competent to be monitoring all of that. So just to clarify, your, your co-founder was using all these resources you guys got as a company without you knowing, yes. hiding behind like your back for this and using it to make more money on himself on the yes. side. Yes, okay. yes. And I only got to know because of the new uh, people we had hired, right? So Lord came in as the head of engineering. Mm. Kwame came in as uh, head uh, product lead, right? So when and how did you realize your co-founder was using company resources behind your back uh, and profiting of it separately without you knowing as the founder and CEO of the company? So our head of engineering, um, he was doing some transition of infrastructure when we in the Google program, right? Uh, we had this access to an awesome product manager from Google. We had access to engineering talent from Google. And they were literally helping us to figure out how to use GPC on our data infrastructure. What it meant was that the head of engineering needed different, le deeper level of access to our infrastructure. He would, he probably got like a second tier access, but he kept on requesting for more access from um, my co-founder. Co co yeah. And he would just like respond angrily. I was like, you're just an employee. Why do you need this level of access? He, was, he would report to me and I'd be like, don't worry, I would speak with him. And I'd, I'd definitely speak with him, but it didn't yield anything. So at this point, uh, we, well, I, I wasn't suspicious to be honest with you. Yeah. I didn't think he was hiding anything. I just thought he was being security conscious, yeah. right? But um, my head of engineering became suspicious and he started looking within you know, the logs and you know, what he had access to. And he came back and you know, one time he was like, look, I need to talk to you about something. I see all kinds of activity on your infrastructure. That doesn't look like it's infra uh, activity dedicated to what you are doing. Wow. Right. I think your resources are being siphoned. And I was like, okay, um, let me ask my co-founder. Mm. Maybe it's just a miscommunication or something, right? So uh, at this point, he, he was supposed to be with us in San Francisco, but he never committed to you know, getting his visa mm. early on, uh, on time and all of that. So he didn't end up being in San Francisco. However, head of engineering had done that job. So mm. he was the one who was with me in San Francisco, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I called him in Accra. Hey, let's get on a phone call. Mm -hmm. you know, um, the head of engineering mm -hmm. is you know, monitoring some mm -hmm. activity that mm -hmm. he believes is, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, dangerous to our ecosystem. So I got on the phone, we discussed everything, 
and his first reaction was like, he went off. His main argument was that, why do you trust someone who is an employee who just came within our company mm. more than me? Mm. He said, yes, he's using these resources, but he has a lifestyle to maintain. He has needs mm. of his own. And so that's why he has to use these resources. Mm. Yeah, he's been with me for a long time. You know, this is something that I should understand. For me, this was like, with, within all the years that we've worked together, this yeah. was our first major conflict. Wow. I was like, dude, this is no longer consulting. This is, we've taken people's money. We are responsible for, you know, um, reporting to them and we need to look the best. We need to practice all the best uh, standards. So here's what I want us to do. Just, you know, stop all those um, activity running our infrastructure for other people and um, let's move on. Um, there would be consequences, but I don't know what those consequences are, at least not for now, you know. And that's what I said. What happened the next few days was the, one of the scariest really? things that happened in my life. He, clearly, he wasn't happy that I even had this kind of conversation with him. Um, he took a bunch of decisions. He literally began taking us, everyone who had access to the infrastructure off, mm. right? That's myself. He even, you know, cut access to my email. Wow. <laughs> yes, so I couldn't communicate. Um, Lord then became very proactive. He was like, he's going to take over our entire stack and infrastructure if we do not do something now. So he also, with the access he had, he started, you know, basically mm -hmm. taking some of the things that we had. At the time, we only had a Ghana entity, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, when I was in um, uh, San Francisco, I just set up a Delaware entity. Mm -hmm. And this was exactly at the time this was happening. Yeah. So... I didn't add him on board as a co-founder okay. to register him, right? So our US entity basically was my, only me as the director. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of our infrastructure, we got all this new access from AWS, Google, and so we sort of like set up, cloned, recloned everything, you know, to be within our ecosystem. The things that he had taken over, we couldn't access it, right? And so. The next few days was just crazy. We were closing deals with investors, and some of our investors just, both Google, our investors received an email, supposedly from me, saying that I've resigned from the company. Wow. He sent an email. Yes. Using your email. Yes. To your investors, saying that you have resigned from your own business. Yes. You could imagine what happened. I had my investors call me up, really angry and livid on phone. So it, was, it was a very scary moment, but I was like, I didn't even know what was happening. Like, I was confused. Why would this investor, this person who's so nice to me, very warm to me, connected me to so many people, just call me and start lambasting me on, on, on phone. Then I, he was like, just check your email. So I decided to you know, check my email, try to access it. I couldn't access it. He sent me a screenshot of the email. email and I was like, oh my God. You can't believe you, I, someone was literally signed as safe. And the next day, you it's send me emails that you are resigning. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I cried. I was literally shaking. I was like, oh my God, this guy has destroyed everything that we achieved. Reputation. He sent emails to some of our early clients we were, were about to close deals with. I was in uh, San Francisco. I just went back to South Africa for the SBC program. And I was receiving calls from banks. Or like, what is going on with your company? We're about to sign deals and onboard us. Customers, and you're telling us that you've resigned, that you are no longer involved in the business Reputationally, it was so damaging. Wow. I felt like I was losing literally everything that I'd ever worked for. And um, it was really difficult. Mm -hmm. It was a difficult moment for me. Um, I cried a lot. Um, I, I just didn't know what to do. So 
on the, on the engineering side, Lord managed to help us salvage you know, some infrastructure. We spoke with our lawyer in Ghana and you know, he helped, she helped us think through a path, mm. how we could you know, exist such a situation. At this point, all uh, investors who are committed to saves didn't wire the money. They didn't? No, they didn't. So when the investors got the email, that was a fake email that your co-founder sent yeah. to everybody saying that you were resigning. Yeah. They pulled out and didn't wire the money to you. Yes, they pulled out. They didn't want to be involved in such as like a whole thing happening. Wow. It wasn't something they wanted to be. Uh, apparently, it just happened that that same investor had also gone like through a situation with <laughs> some know, you know company. previous uh, startup. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't. He for him he was just like I don't want to be involved in yeah. your shit. Yeah. Let me just stay you. out of it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't send you guys money, so it's good. I only signed a yeah. safe. I can cancel the safe at wow. any point. We had like a, re a really low balance. We're just running on money that SBC had given us, and we had hired people. How am I going to pay all these people? We had, you know, been running POCs and ready to, you know, get uh, get them go commercial and live. And all of them began backing out because of this apparent risk, you know. Uh, mind you, banks don't work with just anyone. So if you've built that reputation and you've gotten to that point where you are ready to go commercial and something as big like this comes yeah. up, yeah, it won't. Um, wow. Oh, So this, the, the lawyer in Ghana helped us find a path to get out of this situation. Obviously, what that, what that meant was that some settlements had to be done um, the good thing was that I could resign from the Ghana entity and say I'm not involved because I was a director in both you know, entities yeah. and that was what was kept on linking us together. Yeah. So I re resigned from the Ghana entity, I'm a full director of uh, our US entity alone and basically made a new entity yeah, locally in Ghana. Yeah, made a new entity in Ghana and held that under the Delaware uh, company. Do you speak, still speak to your former co-founder? I don't know where he is. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, if, if he was here in the room right now, what would you tell him? You lost out big time, man. You could have been patient, but you lost out big time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me about building is hard. Recently, you grew the business, you raised some money, um, grew it across multiple African countries. So for those of you who are tuning in now, um, as I said at the beginning, Paul runs uh, ID verification service across the African continent. He operates in eight countries where he enables technology companies, banks, and other financial services um, or other tech businesses to verify and validate identification for people uh, that they'd like to sign up, whether it's service partners or so on, people, customers that they're trying to sign up to their product. So they have an API that's available for people. Recently, they just got acquired by Smile Identity, which is one of the largest um, cross-border, I mean, not cross-border, largest Pan-African um, smile, jeez, uh, I can't even speak today, uh, verification <laughs> yes, services yes, across yeah. the continent. And um, we're going to talk about the exit right now. So first of all, congratulations on the exit. Thanks. What surprised you the most as an African founder when you were exiting your business to an acquisition that was making people money? Hmm. I think that, you know, when you're working with people over time, there are various aspects of who they are that they show you, right? Mm. And so I'm talking when I'm talking about people, various stakeholders within a company. It could be your investors, could be your co-founders, could be your employees, could be your customers, you know, all these stakeholders. And at every stage of your interaction and, and, and stage of growth in your company, you get to see another side of these stakeholders. For me, I think the biggest uh, revelation was that your partners, your investors care about different things whilst you grow as a business. And you must always be equipped to meet these needs at each stage. Otherwise, you could lose it. The acquisition gave me a really good opportunity to understand what my investors really cared about, what my customers also really cared about, and what my partners really cared about. And we learned a lot, you know, um, throughout that process. Um, I can talk 
you know, yeah. detail about that. So, so I want to hear more. So, um, you guys just got acquired. How much were you acquired for? Um, at the moment, I can't talk about it pu publicly, uh, but there's some rumors online. Mm -hmm. I'm close to it, mm -hmm. but I can't, you know, get on camera. Or anything. Yeah. Did the investors make money on the investment? Yes. Yes. Um, between two to three X. What they invested? Yes. Nice. There are some of them that invested really close to the exit. exit. So yeah, <laughs> they made good money. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, so talk to me about. You said there was some process, like, I'm, I'm sure an acquisition is challenging. Paperwork goes on for a long period of time. Tell me about that. So, even before you make that decision to say, hey, we're getting acquired, there's a relationship that exists between you and the company that's acquiring, right? So, for a very long time, we had always, you know, I had always been speaking with the um, CEO of uh, Smile. Yeah, like we always had this, you know, we call it check-ins on the industry, right? Yeah. We'll get on a call and talk about the industry, where it's going. I'll sometimes tell him that, you know, I think the way you guys are approaching the industry just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it could get intense sometimes, yeah. but the general goal of that call will always was to just learn about what we are doing together in the industry and the paths we are taking in. So you and Mark, the, the founder of Smile, Smile, would have catch-up calls here and they just like share learnings and yes, so on. Yes. At the back of my head, sometimes I'll think, oh, Paul, you are really stupid. Why are you doing this? You are <laughs> talking with your competitor always. Yeah. But in hindsight, it was probably like one of the best things I did. In fact, I, when, if you think of it, it was an uh, exit strategy on a very tactical level. Mm. Because we had the opportunity to integrate APIs together, pursue customers together, pursue opportunities together uh, throughout all you know the years, and um, that's where what basically led us to start thinking about possibly building one entity to go after this problem. Yeah. Tell me about the moment you decided and said, you know what, fine, let's join forces and build this business together. You know. At the time, we were running out of money. We had like maybe five months runway. And we had multiple challenges. We had challenges with infrastructure, data partners being stable. We had growing pains actually, because during, especially during the pandemic, we grew really fast. Mm -hmm. We literally signed like a bank in like less than four weeks, right. which really doesn't happen that much. Yeah. Um, and so we had all this pressure to maintain a certain standard of service and it meant injecting more capital into it, meeting compliance needs, which means spending, you know, to meet all those. So between my co-founders then, uh, we had a lot of debates. So it was like, do we go out to raise funding to continue what we're doing? Or we should really look within this challenge and not think of it as just an issue of money will help you solve the problem. Mm. For us, at that point, I told my co-founders that the problem we're trying to solve is not just an issue of money. Fundraising is a challenge for every founder and yeah, you've got to do it. But it's also a bunch of things that maybe among the three of us as co-founders necessarily, we don't have that, let's say, reputation, uh, reputation when it comes to fund, fundraising. But we did have other things like, you know, we're good with compliance, we understood products, and we're really good at that. So we, we asked ourselves the question, should we go through the painful process of fundraising or look at other opportunities? We were constantly getting offers from mm -hmm. different entities mm. in the UK, in the US and on the continent. So these opportunities were always there and we'd always talk about it. Yeah. It was always a debate between the yeah. co-founders. Uh, and eventually we came to a conclusion that maybe we should mm. look at the path of mm. uh, an major or an exit. And, an exit. Mm -hmm. and mm. as co-founders, we decided that this is what we are going to do and mm. would stick to it. We didn't consult our investors mm -hmm. at that point. Mm -hmm. Also at that point, it was a lot of firefighting. Yeah. 
both personally in our lives or, or as co-founders and then you know with the business mm -hmm. also so we we all had our minds in different you know places and mm -hmm. we all wanted to end up being take off some pressures mm -hmm. so let's take some money off the table mm -hmm. we could have done that by you know um raising around and doing a secondary mm -hmm. but we thought maybe at that point in time we just thought the easier route would be to do the exit mm -hmm. and uh, yeah it was justified because we had all the options on the table were really interesting ones mm -hmm. so, yeah nice do you so now you're fully acquired by approved uh, sorry by smile identity yeah uh so how long are you working with smile is there like a clause that you're going to spend a certain amount of time with them and Yes, um, I definitely, I mean, as co-founders, we yeah. still have significant stake within the business, yeah. right? Um, and so we're still involved within the business. Uh, uh, if you stay on, then you have like some time to yeah, spend, required, yeah. uh, then you hit, you know, that half point yeah. and you can decide to move on or cash out. What do you think of it? I, For me, the way I think about it is that I'm still, I, when I started out to solve, you know, the problems within the identity space, yeah. uh, at the point of exit, I don't think I've concluded that, the work. Know, that work. Yeah. So for me, it was so important that, and it was part of the negotiation that I'm still involved within that process, mm -hmm. you know, building and guiding the direction, uh, the vision that uh, we share, that common vision mm -hmm. to solve the challenges in identity. So I would say I'd figured out the part, but probably it was like 30% build, mm. built, right? Mm. And so I have to continue that work in small. I still have significant equity, so uh, that's money I have to take off the table at that point <laughs> in time. I can't leave it and yeah. just, you know, leave. And I believe that within the next two to three yeah. years, we can build the business to become a unicorn and mm. that would be good for everybody involved in the business so yeah i'm still committed to doing that i um i currently uh lead the international expansion team and it's still a lot of what i used to do i'll travel yeah. across africa meet government people yeah. negotiate deals to access data that's what i'm doing uh with smile nice. and also working on special projects internally within the company nice yeah super cool towards the end of 2021 you took some personal time off from work. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a very turbulent time in my life. Um, I had experienced various events, you know. Prior to that, uh, I lost my dad, right? And this was probably like five, six years ago. So what that made me basically was uh, the breadwinner of home, taking care of my siblings, if you're in Africa, black tax. So that in itself, had a, I had a lot of pressures, right? And so my mom, my siblings were really demanding. I mean, it's normal, yeah. But I just didn't have the capacity and the headspace to meet all those needs at the time. So it was really, you know, weighing on me as an individual, my confidence, you know, not being able to meet all these, you know, needs. That was one major part of it, uh, of the challenges I was facing. The other bit also was that within that time, as co-founders, we, we had to make very important decisions within the company. One of it was, you know, deciding to um, um, exit Part of it was also just the direction of the company and the strategy to take. We weren't so aligned on some of these things. So personally, also, it was challenging, uh, you know, agreeing on things with co-founders. Um, it was tough, but, you know, we had to see it through. That was also another thing that sort of, like, hit me. Because for a very long time, we had been aligned on a whole lot. But, you know... Um, when we started having major disagreements around uh, the, our approach, strategy, and all of that, personally, it, it really hit my confidence, right? Um, the other bit of it was also just personally as an individual. I was in a relationship, and a whole lot of things happened, right? 
um, um, that impacted me personally. Um, I lost people within my team, our country manager, um, we lost him to COVID. Oh, wow. Yeah, for Uganda, country manager for Uganda. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. And so it was really difficult. It was all these things happening at the same time. At the same time. Mm. Mm. How, how do you, you had this country manager that you hired, they were on your team and then they pass away through COVID. Yeah. How do you have that discussion with your team after that happens? We didn't know what to do. Like as co-founders and, you know, talking with the rest of the team, we just didn't know how to approach it. Even how to engage uh, his family. It was just a very difficult moment for all of us. And luckily we, you know, we had good investors who really helped us think through a bunch of things like, how do you relate with the family that's left behind? Um, um, how do you talk to the rest of the team to get the motivation to keep on going? How do you handle any kind of um, um, legal complications that comes out of it? Because our country manager then was also a part of our business, you know, the local requirements for Uganda. Mm -hmm. And we had made a lot of progress with him. He was well connected within the industry. We made, did a lot of work, but he's not there to sign the paper. So a bunch of things just came to a halt. Mm -hmm. And for, for me and the rest of the team, it was just so challenging that we've made all this progress. Mm -hmm. And the person that, you know, mm. was really integral to us succeeding, mm. just, mm. you know. Passes. Yeah. And personally, as a friend, um, yeah, it was difficult. Mm. So at this point in time, you have all of these things happening and because the because of the intensity of all the challenges, some of them we could you know figure out solutions, but others just I just couldn't. Especially on the personal side, mm. I just couldn't figure out solutions. Especially dealing with events happening at home mm. with family, uh, I didn't have solutions to them. So it was impacting my productivity yeah. generally. Well, at the time, we were really going through a bunch of compliance works with multiple regulators and. That mm. whole intensity just mm. was too much for me. Mm. So I had to take a break. Mm. I had to take a break for mm. almost three, four months. Mm. Uh, told the team that, look, I can't handle this pressure. Mm. It's just too what much What was the reaction me. from your investors when you told them you need to take a break? As a VC-backed company. Yeah. Uh, it was mixed reactions, right? Some of them were like, dude, You've been at this for long, like you deserve a break. If you, if this is what you have to do, mm -hmm. make sure you put in the right systems that say that the business is not dependent on your presence, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I was really lucky because mm -hmm. my co-founders stepped up. Oh, wow. Yeah, they, they managed the business. Mm -hmm. You know, for a long time, yeah. you'd be thinking that, oh, wow, there's so much centered on you because yeah. you are the face of the business. Right. Everybody sees that. But we also did a good job of putting in processes, systems that really allowed us to keep on running the business yeah. if I wasn't present in any way. And I was re I'm really proud of the work both the co-founders and the team that, you know, whilst I, I, I left to take this break. Yeah. Um, You've talked to me personally about some of the challenges and struggles with mental health. What perspective has this shaped on you as you look being an African tech founder with your own mental health challenges that, that you faced? Mm. I think that if you're an African founder, you really need to pay attention to the people you bring on to you know, this journey that you are going on i.e. investors particularly, because they are the people that you report to the most, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you're in a situation where you have investors who don't get or understand some of the local nuances that you face, 
well, yes, you have to do the work to help them understand. But mm. there's also at the back of your mind, you're, you're scared. You're like, these guys might not take me seriously. Mm. It, it would look like I'm always giving excuses for things that they think should be normal, right? Mm -hmm. Like having financial pressures mm. as a uh, founder and you are not able to take care of these family needs. And one time I had a conversation with an investor who is not necessarily an African. He was like, why are you burdening yourself with all these problems? I think mm. it's self-inflicted. Yeah, I've had that one too. <laughs> I've had an investor tell me, like, why are you worried about your family's problems? That's them and you are separate from the family. Yes. And I was like, bro. <laughs> you don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> you only need to experience it to understand it. Yeah. And so, yes, there are some of them who are mm. okay to listen to you and sort of like try to understand. Mm. Others who just dismiss it and be yeah. like, dude, you're not serious. Yeah. You know? So there was always that fear, mm. that resistance. And for a very long time, I had to sort of like, some of the challenges I was going through, mm. I just had to keep it to myself. Mm. But it just, you know, you can't keep, you know, bottling everything. It will, take, it will explode at one point in time. For a very long time, I've always believed that I'm the kind of guy who can handle a lot of mm. pressure. But at this point in my life, it was unlike anything I had experienced. Yeah. So, yeah, the idea of selecting the right kind of partners who have some cultural sensitivity mm. also you know not only f you know picking them just on business lines but yeah. as inclusive as possible yeah try to think about all the reasons why i'm pursuing this investor and why i want him to partner up with me yeah. to build this business is so critical and i i think a lot of founders need to really think about that yeah with more context yeah paul what matters to you most in life and why I think that, you know, after my, my dad's burial, like 10 years ago in my hometown, I was surprised about what my hometown looked like. It was this beautiful place with beaches, you know, some of the best beaches you get, right? And I'll save my comment as a Tanzanian <laughs> Hila, on that one for, for, for right now. But you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Good. So at, when I was at the, my dad's funeral, I was so living and angry. I was like, Dad, why didn't you bring me here a lot more? Mm. That's how I felt. But at the same time, you'd also look around your environment and you'd see poverty. You'd see irrespective of the natural resources and abundance that you have, people aren't able to live the best of their lives. Uh. And so, you know, it got me really thinking through a lot of things. One, who do I think of as my own people? Where do I want to see them? But more so, if I make an initiative to impact their lives, what would that look like? you know, in a generation's time, in a century. Mm. So I'm very obsessed about seeing the outcome of impact that I make. Mm. Any initiative that I, you know, um, invest time and effort in, mm. I really care about what that would look like in the future. Obviously, I can't live forever. Yeah. But that also, what, that, what that's telling me a bunch of things. It means you must keep yourself healthy. Mm. Um, as much as you can create boundaries, but healthy boundaries, uh, and just focus on the things that you care about. Mm. I do care about prosperity of you know Africans in general. I really want to see that all the combined efforts, all these startups, you know, uh, efforts trying to change industries and all of that. I really want to see that mm -hmm. in the next fifty years, what impact did we make? Mm. Was it just you know, a bunch of things that we did, vibes, <laughs> or it really made an impact. And mm. we can look back and say, whoa, mm. we did something, mm. you know, I care about that. So I'm making all the efforts to, you know, make impact, mm. but at the same time, make sure that I take care of myself long enough to yeah. see 
the outcome of those impacts. And I really hope that uh, yeah. it will be a bright future, that the future generation will say, will be able to point back to mm. all of us and say, these people pioneered this, and that's why mm. we can achieve what we are achieving today. Mm. If your dad was here with us right now, in this room, what would you tell him? Um, I would say, thank you, dad. Thank you for being very liberal. Dad was always liberal. He allowed me to explore. And that really was what built my, my, my ability to be curious and think about problems. At the same time, um, I think that left a whole lot of responsibility. I'll be like, dad, why did you, <laughs> like you could have done this better, mm. you know? Um, but I think overall, you'll be proud of me. And I'll say, hey, I, I believe I made you proud. What do you think? Um, That's fun. Yeah. Okay, we're going to move to a quick fire round of questions. Yes. So Paul has traveled to many countries in Africa, probably way more than most founders <laughs> I know put together. Uh, he's the master of meeting government officials and finding these deals, getting these government contracts in for KYC, ID verification, and you know being able to, to build his business. Paul, um, favorite country in Africa for rest? <laughs> Oh, don't, don't take it against me, but uh, I did love Zanzibar. Like, I discovered Saotome and Principe. Mm. It's just one, one hour uh, flight from Accra off the coastal Coast. Gulf of Guinea. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Better than Zanzibar? Answer very carefully. Yes. Listen, listen. <laughs> this is what makes it beat Zanzibar. I think the people are awesome. Yeah. Wow, he, wow, yo, this is shots fired at, <laughs> at me as a Tanzanian. This is basically said I'm not awesome, but it's, you know what? It's cool. Well, we'll leave that one for after the recording is over, and you know we'll, we'll sort that out then. Wow. Yeah, well, I love. I had a bunch of experiences in Sao Tome. Yeah. I've started a small foundation there too. Train Islanders. Yo, that's what happens when you do an exit. You see, oh, guys, doing foundation now. Some of us, no foundation. <laughs> Just work on the next salary and figure it out. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I had multiple experiences. I met a bunch of young kids. No opportunity. Island life is really difficult. Mm. You don't even have a bordering nation to escape to, right? So it's just you're stuck on this island and no opportunities. And yeah. But like... I, I played a game of chess with a young chap and mm. she beat me like 10 times. Wow. And I was like, why would this smart person not have access? Yeah. At one point in my life, I had access. I had to be, I stood on the shoulder of someone to yeah. build what I have built to date. So yeah, I just decided that I'll train a bunch of people in English. They speak Portuguese, so okay. they are even more disadvantaged, right? Yeah. They can't connect with the rest of the ecosystem, which is largely English speaking. So. Yeah. We're basically giving them a scholarship in English language. Wow. After that, then we train them in software engineering. Nice. Very yeah. cool. Um, very important question. Uh, we are now in Dakar, Senegal. Okay? Yes. You are from Ghana. Yes. Your neighbor is also with Nigeria. Honest question. Be honest here. You have to tell the truth. <laughs> okay. Which country this in Africa the... has the best jollof rice? You know... I, this is a very easy question for me because... Answer I honestly. Came, don't just answer because you're Ghanaian. You, just no, no, no. Say the truth. It's, it's easy. And I'm, I came to that realization mm. like three years ago. Maybe Ghanaians might not be love it, but like, I think, yeah, Chebujan, which mm. is Senegalese jollof, mm. is, you know, the original jollof. That's what I'm saying. Mm. It's the original jollof. No one should misquote me. Mm. It is the original. Yeah, but are you saying it's the best? I said it's the no, original. No, you're not answering the question. This guy is such a politician. <laughs> Answer the question, <laughs> bro. It is the If something oh, is no. the original, you'd always go back to it, wouldn't you? So answer the question. It, so are you saying that mm -hmm. Ghanaian, uh, Senegalese jollof is better than Ghanaian jollof? I said Chebujan is the original no, Jollof, and I love it. It's so nice. Yes. You've not answered the question. I just answered you. Wow, you're worse than most politicians <laughs> I know. This guy. Wow. Well, maybe there's a career in politics for our boy Paul right here, man. This guy's like swerving. 
You, you, you watch sports and play sports? Yes, yes. I play badminton mm. and squash. What do you watch? Uh, I watch football um, very, mostly. Very important question. Ronaldo or Messi? Yeah. <laughs> That's a very... Honestly, honestly, Ronaldo. Hey, hey. He's, he's one of the <laughs> only people on this show who's ever said Ronaldo. He deserves a handshake. I'm, I mean... I like take away performance on the you know pitch. I actually, for me, it's the off pick things that mm. maybe because it's also language barrier. But Ronaldo is Portuguese speaking, but he speaks English too, and he he makes things like he's really the kind of person that when you watch all his off pitch antics, yeah, you you love who he is. He's able to reach more people, mm. unlike Messi. Messi is just Spanish, mm. you know. Yeah, people love him as yeah. the... Um, but I don't see a lot of his yeah. off-pitch life. Like, I can't connect or relate to it as compared to Ronaldo. So, mm. yeah. Paul, what's your... This is really important for me. I need to know this answer. What is your favorite country in East Africa? Yeah, my God. <laughs> now I'm going to get into trouble with a whole bunch of friends all over. Um, yes, Tanzania. Hey! I give it to you. A win is a win. I a give win it to you. is a win. This is my first win today. I love my Kenyans. They they have a very important part in my life. You know, but... again, yo, the politician comes through again. <laughs> Paul, um, I've been really inspired learning about your story today and journey you've been on. I know it's not been an easy one with everything that you've done. Um, I'm very proud of you uh, with the tough moments that have built the company to where it is today. So uh, I hope you get also some time to rest uh, as yes. well given the acquisition is completed. Yes. Uh, but also really look at what's next. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, please uh, join me in thanking Paul for Asante San, as we say, Thanks, in Asante uh, Tanzania. I really enjoyed this uh, conversation. For being on the show also. today. Yeah. And that's it for our session with Paul. Uh, go and check out what they do uh, with Approve now with Smile Identity. And maybe soon we'll have Mark on the show to discuss uh, what's going on with Smile Identity. Thank you so much for tuning into this Builder Africa Speaker Series session. My name is Benjamin Fernandez, and I'll see you in the next session. Ciao.